El Fanboy, episode 50. Everybody, Mario Francisco Robles MFR here with you, and this is the 50th edition of the El Fanboy Podcast. How is everybody doing today? It has been a week. Uh, I've been gone for the last four days. I flew out to Las Vegas on Monday morning. I re- I arrived. I returned home last night, and uh, it you know I had a lot of fun out there. I had a couple of geeked out movie moments too, kind of reliving. Uh, some of my favorite moments from The Hangover and from Ocean's Eleven, although The Hangover one, I think, was unintentional. Uh, for Ocean's Eleven, though, you know, I went to the Bellagio on my final night, and I leaned there on the railing, staring out at the fountains, just like Danny and his boys did at the end of the first movie, and they revisited so beautifully in Ocean's Thirteen. So I went and kind of had my own Ocean's moment, and that was a lot of fun, and in general, I got a lot done, had a ton of fun. Got to sort of rest and, and get away from it all for a bit. My uh, my 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 bro in, in chief, uh, Rob Marrera, held down things beautifully in my absence. I saw we had a lot of great articles and a lot of great coverage of what's going on in the world of geekdom while I was away, and I had little to nothing to do with it. So it was kind of incredible. You know, this was the first real test for RevengeOfTheFans.com to see how the site can do without me there. Kind of, you know, kind of seeing if uh, if the thing can just sort of run on its own, which, you know, that's a big question and it's an important aspect of running a website. And now it's good to know that I've got such a solid uh, support team here that even if I do have to go off the grid for a couple days, Revenge of the Fans will continue to live on. So that, that means a ton to me. And thanks to everyone who continued to... Uh, check out the site and share the articles and keep RTF alive, even without me here banging the drum every single day. Uh, I did actually get to some fun geekiness while I was out there. I got to check out Black Panther. Uh, you know, I I don't want to get into spoilers just yet because, you know, we're still in the first week of that film's release, Although I've already told Brett and Vanessa that we are going to have a full spoiler discussion on next week's The Revengers podcast. But for right now, my non-spoiler thoughts are, wow, I was totally um, totally surprised and totally uh, sort of overwhelmed at times by Black Panther. You know, uh, for those of you who've been listening for a while, you know, it's not a film that's really been on my radar. Not for any other reason other than I didn't grow up on Black Panther, as I mentioned on the one-year anniversary of this here uh, El Fanboy podcast, which was the last episode, which you guys should check out. Um, as I said there, you know, I didn't grow up with an inherent love or, or affinity for the character. So for me, you know, Black Panther was on that, like, Doctor Strange and Ant-Man sort of tier. One of those, like, solo Marvel movies that I'll check out if the buzz is good, but I'm not necessarily looking forward to it. And even despite all the buzz being as positive as it was before I saw it, I was still, I don't know, somewhat skeptical. You know, I'm like, all right, I'm glad you people seem to love it, and that's great. But I don't know if it's really going to do anything for me, per se. I don't know. The the trailers didn't do anything that got me all that excited. It looked pretty good. 
whatever. So I went in with relatively modest expectations, leaning positive, but, you know, overall modest expectations. And I can comfortably say this movie exceeded all of them. I mean, for me, it had all those things that I look for in these kinds of films. You know, it had the action and the spectacle. It had the relatable characters doing, you know, with with plot lines that I can really invest in. Uh, it had a lot of heart and emotion. It didn't seem like hollow or in, like an excuse to just blow things up. It looked like, you know, there was a lot of heart and emotion and, and emotional complexity to the tale being shared. And that's, you know, always a pleasant surprise for me with these Marvel movies. Because, you know, I tend to say that they tend to be a little too big on the, uh, on the wisecracks and the one-liners that sort of undercut the drama. And I was very, very pleasantly surprised by how emotionally resonant I found this film to be. Um, that said, you know, there were a couple of moments there where I felt like they, they played it for laughs instead of really letting it be as majestic as it could be. But you know what? By and large, I didn't feel like they pulled the rug out from under this one like they did with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and like they did with Doctor Strange and stuff like that. I felt like they really allowed this film to be powerful and majestic and to take itself seriously. And that's, I mean, that's amazing as far as I'm concerned because we needed that. I needed that. As someone who was starting to, to grow tired of the sort of MCU quote-unquote formula, uh, Black Panther was a real injection of, of life. Um, and, yeah, and there are a lot of parallels for me with uh, Black Panther and with Wonder Woman. Um, you know, Wonder Woman for me also was that first real DC film that like really just sort of, it's, uh, how do I put it? It transcended everything. It had that balance again of, you know, it had the grandiosity and the, and the something to say of, uh, of like Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. But unlike those films, it also had a, enough genuine heart and warmth and emotion in there to really kind of make it all land. And, you know, Black Panther kind of has that same sort of thing where it stands head and shoulders above its brethren in its, in its franchise there because it actually had the audacity to take itself seriously and uh, while still honoring what we're here to do, which is entertain people, you know, and, and take them away for a couple hours and take them on a ride that makes them cheer, makes them laugh, makes them cry, makes them look at things differently. Uh, so Black Panther nailed a lot of that, and uh, trying to think, like, in terms of negatives, I know people like to harp on the CG, honestly, I mean, I was one of them. I said in, in one of the previous trailers, like, it looked like a, like a video game, everyone looked rubbery, and I was hoping they'd fixed it. Honestly, I didn't have a problem with it in the movie itself, and I still hear people complaining about it, and obviously, you are entitled to that if you felt like, you know, they uh, went cheap on the on the CG budget, but personally, for me, I didn't have an issue with it. Uh, in action, I thought the CG actually looked pretty tight. There were a couple moments where maybe a character looked a little too glossy, but overall, I thought that they nailed it, so I really... You know, I didn't have, uh, I don't really have many negatives, if at all. Um, my main thing is, you know, there were like one or two little areas there where they, they kind of played it for laughs or they kind of undercut a potentially powerful moment. But overall, I thought uh, Black Panther was a really good film. Now, let's see, well, one thing I did notice, I'm kind of doing this off, uh, all off the top of my head. This whole show is going to be stream of consciousness, so join me on this ride, will you? But, um... 
you know, one thing that I do remember saying to my friends when uh, when the credits started to roll was that for me, it's a film that like went from good to pretty good to downright phenomenal by the end. You know what I mean? So for me, it was interesting. Like it started off hot. I was very engaged. Somewhere there in the middle, I was like, okay, this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just hanging on. It's pretty good, but not rocking my world. And then, I don't know, somewhere in that third act, in those final 30 minutes, I, it came on hot. And I, all of a sudden, I was, you know, I was fully locked in and loving everything. And I had tears going on there towards the final few moments. And, you know, so that, that, that was the track of Black Panther for me. We started good. We dipped into pretty good and ended excellent. So, um, you know, I will give you guys some non-spoiler thoughts and a full-on discussion when I get with Brett and Vanessa on the, on the next Revengers podcast, which comes out Tuesday afternoon. Um, but for now, we're going to move on. You know, there was a lot of DC activity while I was away. I've already reported some of it this morning. I'm, I'm kind of just playing catch-up, by the way. I'm still, I'm still jet-lagged. I'm still shot. My kids are off from school, so they're here in the room next to me. My wife is off from school because she's a school teacher and it's President's Week. So I've got a family out there that's dying to see Daddy, and Daddy wants to see them too. But, you know, I feel like I owe you guys, uh, you know, j- just some updates since I've been gone all week. So I'm going to try to tackle everything as much as I can. I'm still playing catch up, but let's see what I can share with you. So when I came back last night and kind of re-entered the bubble, so to speak, there was the news about Joss Whedon's exit. There were some interesting murmurs about Matt Reeves, the Batman. Uh, I also got some information about the Aquaman trailer. You know, there's been like a lot of different things going on while I'm away, so let's try to tackle it. Um, so first things first, to recap, I covered that, you know, with Whedon's departure from Batgirl, you know, this kind of goes back to a theory that's just been lying just barely under the surface for a while. Uh, it started up right around the time that we discovered how in-depth his work on Justice League was and was going to be and was proven to be, which is that he wasn't really there to make a Batgirl movie. The Batgirl thing was really more of a smokescreen. It was there to sort of explain why he was involved with DC, but to sort of, uh, you know, like distract from the fact that the main reason he was there was to quote-unquote save Justice League as the studio stole that picture right out from under Zack Snyder. So that theory's kind of been there in the past, and it looks like there really is something to it. You know, I've spoken to people who've also used that phrasing. It's a smokescreen. This Batgirl thing is is a red herring. It's a distraction. It's something there to explain away his involvement, but it was never really a, a very solid thing. And in an odd way, Whedon's, you know, statement about his departure sort of proves that. You know, it doesn't look like he went into, he had some crazy pitch and amazing idea and that the film came from some like, wow, we're really sold on this concept you have and let's make this movie. It it looks like he doesn't have anything. According to his own admission, he didn't really have a story and he couldn't really do it justice. And so he's walking away. That's like his publicly stated reason. But that also indirectly proves that there was never really a Batgirl movie there to begin with. It was really just an idea. And what I reported today was, it's one of those things where had Justice League been phenomenal, 
had Justice League suddenly turned the whole thing around and become a runaway success and done all the things they'd hoped, then you know what? As a cherry on top, as a prize to Mr. Whedon, as a thank you to Mr. Whedon for saving Justice League, quote-unquote, uh, they would have given him Batgirl to make. But as we know, Justice League underwhelmed. Uh, you know, they already went into it knowing that this thing was going to be a problem for them, but it's even beyond that, you know, they were still taken aback by just how underwhelming the results were. Unlike my friends over there at Batman on Film, as I said on that vlog with them that they had me on just before I left for Vegas, uh, I would never call it a bomb. I think that's a misnomer. I can't even call it a flop. Because remember, you know, a movie that's a bomb or a flop is not a film that failed to meet expectations. It's a film that, that just completely missed the mark. It didn't make back its budget by a long shot and completely like dismantled the franchise. Justice League did not do that. It still made, you know, you know, somewhere between 650 and 700 million. I don't have those figures in front of me. It has a very, very strong chance of breaking even on home release. And overall, general audiences seem much higher on it than us here in the geek community. And remember, as I've said time and time again, that's who the studio really cares about. The general audiences seem to walk away with a thumbs up. They weren't you know, over to the moon about it, you know, and by the time the film came out, they'd already sort of turned their backs on these uh, Zack Snyder, you know, just uh, DC movies, which is what Justice League was marketed as. But those who actually showed up actually seemed to like it. And that's what, you know, that's what Warner Brothers wanted. So let's go ahead and stop calling this thing a, a bomb or a flop because that's not it. But regardless, it was, you know, what it definitely wasn't also was a huge runaway success. So that pretty much sealed the fate for this Batgirl movie. And then when you add into that, there's like negativity around his name nowadays. You know, Walter Hamada, does he wants no drama. He is done with the drama and the behind-the-scenes turmoil and the, the negative, toxic buzz around these movies actually swallowing up the movies before they can even get into theaters. So he's over that phase of things. There's a new sheriff in town, and one of the things he wants to do is clean house. He's trying to clean the entire perception of the DCU up. And Joss Whedon became an issue. You know, he became a liability. He wasn't a liability when they signed him up to do the Justice League reshoots, but in the time since that's occurred, that's completely turned on its head because his ex-wife published that letter, that big expose on what a womanizer he was and, and what that did to her mental well-being. There was the, the, those leaked script pages from the Wonder Woman script that he tried to get made, you know, a ton of years ago that made him, you know, they didn't exactly represent him as the most, uh, uh, let's just say, cuddly, lovable, even-keeled character. And there's also the fact that, you know, the all the Justice League stuff has, has really come out into the forefront and people are fully aware of what happened with that movie and the, 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 the emotions around it are all fairly mixed or negative. So really... Having him attached to any DC project right now does it no good. While he was a brand name last year at this time, that brand name has become tarnished and there's just no value in it. So they're going to move on from Whedon if Batgirl happens at all, which I, you know, I still think it might, you know, especially since we're in this whole phase where they really want to amp up the female superheroes and you know, it's, it's becoming sort of a big cultural moment, and Batgirl is, you know, one of the bigger ones there, especially amongst DC. You know, they've got Wonder Woman, 
And if you ask me, you know, Batgirl is is right there after her. Maybe not nearly as, maybe it's a far off second, but she's definitely in that conversation of like the top three heroines in DC Slate. That's just my personal opinion, by the way. But, you know, so I think Batgirl is still going to happen, but if it does, it'll be with a female director and it'll be in a situation that is as close to drama free as anyone can attest uh, to. People have asked me who would, who should direct it. And honestly, I don't have an answer. And that actually, to me, says more about the landscape, because honestly, there are so few female directors, which is which is a total fallacy, that I don't want to just go to the usual list. You know, everyone kind of drops the same names all the time. It's always like Michelle McLaren. You know, back in the day, Patty Jenkins' name would come up. Uh, you know, Ava DuVernay's name comes up whenever we're looking for a female director. And, uh, you know, and that's the thing. I'm already scraping the bottom of the barrel, folks. You know, so that's why, you know, I, I don't know. I, off the top of my head, I cannot, you know, I, I can just start naming female directors. I can mention, you know, Greta Gerwig. I can mention Catherine Bigelow. But, like, I don't know them well enough because there aren't enough female directors in Hollywood. So it, maybe, perhaps, it is time to finally get more than just the token five of them. So that I don't, you know, when people ask these kinds of questions, I don't have to, like, scrape around IMDb to figure out who I would suggest. So I'm sorry I don't have any uh, insightful suggestions for who should take over Batgirl. But you know what? It's time for the industry to step up and give me more than the same five goddamn options. How about that? Um... So let's see, what else did I cover today? We spoke about, oh yeah, I, I wrote a little bit about the slate, you know, what this means for Batgirl, what this means for Nightwing. So obviously, you know, people ask me why, you know, they thought it was strange I didn't include Batgirl on that slate I wrote about, I think about a month ago now. You know, because they're like, well, you know, it's got Joss Whedon's name attached to it and they already announced it and it was in the Hollywood Reporter. You know, why wouldn't you include that on the slate? And this is why. Because this movie was nowhere near getting done. There was no script. It was just a loose concept of an idea like so many of the other films that have come out there. And what I've tried to do more than anything is separate the fact from the fiction. And Batgirl being on the slate was always a work of fiction until they actually had a script and they actually decided to proceed and give that baby a green light, which as we now know is not happening, has not happened, but will hopefully happen one day. Um, Nightwing is kind of a surprise though. You know, Nightwing, as I mentioned in my report today, but I'll do it again here for those of you who didn't get a chance to read it, you know, when I said that that film was on the cusp, that was not based on insider knowledge. Full disclosure, that was based on me taking director Chris McKay's phrase, you know, uh, you know, his own words at face value. Because no one I've spoken to has said, oh yeah, Nightwing is definitely happening. But I thought it looked like it must be, because he's over here on Twitter getting people all excited. He's working people into a nice lather talking about, oh yeah, big updates on how that film's gonna, uh, about Nightwing in mid-February, just stay tuned. And then he did another teaser like three weeks ago, like, oh yes, you know, I'm gonna tell you some cool stuff around Valentine's Day. And then he's posting stuff, you know, a poll about what kind of elements do you want Dick Grayson to have? And there was some talk about his open casting call for Nightwing and this and that. So he was really, you know, feeding the fire here. So I'm like, you know what? Even though my insiders are not saying I should keep an eye on this film, you know, he wouldn't be saying these things unless they were really happening, you know? So I took Mr. McKay's words at face value and I mentioned Nightwing as being on the cusp 
But basically, ever since, that has been proven to be false. Because when he did finally deliver that Valentine's Day update, what did he really tell us? All he said was, it, we are in the very early stages. It's going to take a long time to get this thing going. He's working on his Rip-O-Matic. And for those of you who don't listen to the Revengers podcast, we were like, let's make a hashtag Rip-O-Matic. Because uh, we had to look up what that phrase means. But a Rip-O-Matic is essentially a pitch. So he hasn't pitched it yet. A Rip-O-Matic is where you take a whole bunch of artwork and clips of other films and you make this little like sizzle reel of like, this is the tone and the look and the vibe I'm looking for. What do you think? And then based on that, they go, okay, let's do that. Um, so if they're still at that stage, if Nightwing is, if Nightwing, yes, Chris McKay is Nightwing, uh, yeah, exclusive. No, if Chris McKay is publicly stating that he's still working on the Rip-O-Matic, which is essentially the pitch, then I don't know what the heck he's doing getting people all hyped up for a Nightwing movie. That means this thing is very far off. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's upsetting, and, you know, I just want to remind y'all, I never said it's definitely happening. I said it looked like it was on the cusp. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sorry for getting your hopes up, Nightwing fans. Uh, the Twitter handle, Robin's Nest, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I know you've been dying for this. Uh, but, you know, I unfortunately was going by Chris McKay's tweets, and it looks like he's sort of led us on. With, no, with all due respect to Mr. McKay, and he seems like a great guy, and I'd honestly love to get him on the show to talk about this. But, um, and you know what, maybe I should work on that. This is my stream of consciousness, note to self. Note to self-contact, Chris McKay. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, I, I have nothing but respect for the guy, and I finally checked out some of the Lego Batman movie, so I understand the hype around him and around that. But, you know, I, I wish he hadn't been stoking these flames quite so much, because he even led me on. So, anyway, that is your, that is your Nightwing update. For those of you who keep asking, yes, Man of Steel 2 is still on the way. It's just a matter of hammering out the logistics at this point. I had a very spirited debate with Rick Shu and Jet uh, Raimi uh, of the on the Batman on Film vlog last week. And in that, I revealed that it really is just a matter of logistics. You know, all sides want to do it. Cavill wants to return. Warner Brothers wants him to return. But it's a matter of renegotiating that contract. And, you know, one funny little interesting tidbit is the fact that, you know, Cavill wants his Shazam thing to count as the final appearance, but Warner Brothers wants the, the next Superman movie to count as his final appearance, and then they can re renegotiate from there. Now, what that tells me is Warner Brothers is somewhat unsure of what they have with Henry Cavill. And, you know, it, it's, this is, you know it, it gets a little tricky here, but, you know, if you think about it, they don't really know what they have with Cavill, because yes, fans love him, and yes, he's you know he's a he's a great uh, Superman, and he's gotten pretty much universal praise. But the movies he's been involved with, none of them have been runaway successes. So that kind of tempers what you know how they feel about him and about his future as Superman. Because if you think about it, regardless of what you thought of them, you know, Man of Steel two got a very mixed response. And the box office was very good, but not exactly great, especially what it was following up on. 
You know, this this was from The Men Who Brought You the Dark Knight Trilogy. And, you know, this was the big, much Bollywood reboot of Superman that, you know, supposedly everyone was waiting for. And, you know, it made less than 700 million bucks. It, ma it made somewhere around what Justice League just ended up making. So it was good, but not great. Then there's Batman, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, which, as we all know, I don't have to rehash all that. But that did not exactly go as planned. And what was his third appearance? It was Justice League, which is another one where they, you know, it's a totally mixed bag that, you know, it just proves that none of Cavill's Superman appearances have been in films that were runaway by golly gee Willikers successes for the studio. So this tells me that they would love to be able to make one more Superman movie with him and then assess his future and then assess if he deserves the big raise that he's probably asking for. You know what I mean? I, I think like that, that, that's just my hunch. But I feel like, you know, if the, if the studio is really playing hardball with him about this, about, you know, his, his, his proposed contract demands, that tells me it's, it's not because they don't like him. It's because they're not sure what they've got here. Do we have the new Superman for a new generation that everyone loves and who is an excuse to print money? Or do we have like a polarizing Superman who maybe we should cast someone else? You know, I feel like the studio, if they're really playing hardball, that's what it tells me. And I almost can't blame them. It breaks my heart to say it because I personally think he's a phenomenal Superman who deserves a new shot, a great script, and an opportunity to really soar and bring the, you know, this new Kal-El to unparalleled heights. But at the same time, if I'm Warner Brothers there with a the checkbook and I'm looking at his three Superman movies so far, I'm going, hmm, are people really hot on him or not? So, you know, it's, it's a tricky situation, but like I said, they want to do it. If they, can get the, if they can agree to the right terms, this Man of Steel 2 announcement is still pending. It's still going to happen somewhere between now and San Diego Comic-Con. So it's all a matter of the logistics. So I know it's, it's not a very sexy update. You know, I can't say, oh, they're going to announce it at WonderCon, or they're definitely, oh, here's the director. I wish I had something like that to say. But they, for right now, Man of Steel 2 is coming. They just have to work out the logistics. Um, now, something else that's been coming up is, you know, this, this Matt Reeves stuff. People are asking me questions about Batman. Uh, listen, I checked in today with people who I trust. What I've been told is there is no validity to these reports that he's about to exit. But... Now, here's where I, you know, th th this is where my just sort of, um, you know, following the crumbs leads me, okay? Uh, I see, before I get into my following of the crumbs, let me also just state, when I checked in, they said that, you know, the, the, there's no validity to those reports, and that they did confirm that what Reeves wants to do is a trilogy. You know, we, it was reported for a while that, like, he may want to do that, and I think he gave some sort of half-hearted response to you know towards that statement saying like oh yeah i want to take a one movie at a time but obviously a trilogy would be uh, you know would be cool or yeah he said something like that um from what i'm told is you know all the internal discussions center on the fact that he does he is working on a three picture arc for batman so that is more or less confirmed and true and the plan for now but um so here's, here's where my breadcrumb trail leads me, though. You know, do I think Reeves is about to bail? No, I absolutely do not. But I do think there is a problem on the horizon here. 
Um, nothing that's going to stop the movies from happening or nothing that maybe is necessarily going to make him leave. But it, it all centers on this whole wanting to have your cake and eat it too that Warner Brothers and DC is, is presently going for. Because remember, they're moving these characters off onto their own islands. They're, they're giving each filmmaker a chance to really have full creative control and, and all that sort of stuff, to really let these things be filmmaker-driven and they're going to stay out of their hair and all that sort of good stuff, yada, yada, yada. But they also want to keep the shared universe concept. And, you know, that is a tall order. That is tough to pull off. Because how is it you're going to tell these directors, hey, you can do whatever you want, but we're going to have a Legion of Doom, you know, post-credit sequence at the end of your credits. You know, oh, but you can't kill off this character because we'd like to use them in this. Or, but, you know, Mr. Reeves, we know we've given you full creative control, but, you know, uh, Chris McKay would love for you to drop a hint about his Nightwing movie. Or so-and-so, who's eventually going to inherit the Batgirl movie, would love if you could, you know, introduce Barbara Gordon in your second film. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tough situation because they want to give Reeves all of this freedom, and that's what he wants. That's the only reason he's agreed to do this is because they agreed to let him do his story his way. But they also want to make sure that this is all one cohesive universe. So how do you do that? How do you have a filmmaker-driven concept but you still want to make these things all a shared universe. And that, for me, has been the big question mark. Ever since they announced that they were going to continue on with the shared concept, with the shared universe concept, while still going filmmaker-driven, I'm like, those two ideas do not mesh. You are either one or the other. Because if you're filmmaker-driven and you're giving each of these directors the keys to the castle and saying, okay, go, have fun with it, make it your own, make an awesome movie, we're going to leave you alone, then you just do that. You give them the keys, you step away, and you come back when, when it's time to watch a rough cut of the movie. You can't have it both ways and say, okay, you could do whatever you want, but make sure that you either leave doors open for these things or you don't, you know, suddenly retcon things that we're working on elsewhere. It's, you know, it, it's a very fine line, and I can honestly see that becoming an issue. So as of right now, Reeves is still attached. He wants to make a trilogy of films, but if they, you know, it, it, I if they hit some sort of impasse here, if they come to a place where the studio is trying to have it both ways and they, and they start peppering him with notes and suggestions for things that he needs to incorporate so that their shared universe concept can continue, Mr. Reeves is not going to have an ounce of patience for that. So he's going to bail. So that's why, you know, that's why it's, 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 a, it's, a more, it's still a positive update because as of right now, you're through, through official channels. I'm hearing he is definitely still attached and that these murmurs are just, you know, it's somebody who can't be trusted sharing these murmurs. But I can totally see how, that, how things could switch down the line. You know, something else I discussed, by the way, is similar to Nightwing, similar to Batgirl, similar to everything with the with DC Slate. Um, you know, they still seem to be in early stages here. You know, Reeves also just signed a new deal with Netflix. He's got a lot of different things going on. So his entire life is not revolving around the Batman right now. He's still figuring out, you know, how he wants to approach these movies. So... You know, th things are still early enough that they could fall apart. For right now, they are on course, 
And that is kind of the only update I can give y'all on the Batman. And as for other DC-related things that happened in my absence, you know, there were the uh, reports about the test screenings of Aquaman. I've spoken to someone who's seen it, and I've heard from others that the film is actually quite good. You know, it's still in its early stages. It was just sort of a rough cut, and, you know, a lot of unfinished effects and some areas where they had to use artwork just to supplement until they actually have the sequences finalized. But from what I hear, Aquaman is going to be pretty awesome, and I, for one cannot wait to check it out um and you know we're gonna get our first chance to do that according to my inside sources WonderCon. WonderCon is when they're going to be releasing the trailer for aquaman and what's interesting there is you know that weekend is uh right around the time that ready player one comes out which is also a warner brothers movie which by the way if you haven't read the ready player one book or if you're not hyped about Ready Player One, then we just cannot be friends. But, um, I'm sorry, that was a little harsh. Okay, we can be friends, but you just got to get out there and do it, okay? But look, Ready Player One will be arriving there at the end of March. It comes out March 29th, which is the following weekend. So it all seems to be going this way. It seems to be they're going to unveil Aquaman at WonderCon on the whatever that weekend is. It's the 23rd through the 25th or something like that. And then they will package it alongside Ready Player One, which comes out the following weekend. And obviously, you know, they, they're going to release it online. The question is, will they release it simultaneously to the WonderCon release? Are they going to do the kind of thing that's happened at, like, Comic-Cons before, where they show the fans in attendance in a very extended, exclusive look at the movie, and then just give us a, a version of that online as the first trailer? You know, that part remains to be seen, but... All we do know is, and I reported it exclusively today on, Re on RevengeOfTheFans.com, is that WonderCon is when fans are going to get their first chance to really see Aquaman. All right? So the wait will not be much longer. Well, let's see. Let's, let's see how my math is doing. March is the third month of the year. The movie comes out in December. So that's about nine months. So it's going to, it's going to kick off the nine-month production cycle, you know, the uh, advertising cycle for Aquaman. So let's do this. I'm ready. I'm excited. And you know what else I'm excited about? I'm actually very, very hyped about Game Night. Uh, you know, that movie opens tonight and I'm, I'm very high on Goldstein and Daly, this new duo. And um, I, I may try to get babysitters to go check this movie out tonight. I mean, A, I was a big fan of Horrible Bosses. Uh, B, I loved what they did with Spider-Man Homecoming as the writers on that film. And Brett and Vanessa got to check it out. And Brett wrote a stellar review for the film that you can find on RevengeOfTheFans.com. And we're going to be discussing the movie and how well it lines up with what they could hopefully bring to Flashpoint once they sign the dotted line. We're going to be discussing that on next week's The Revenges podcast. But, um, you know, by the way, speaking of which... You know, they, 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 you know, they have yet to sign on, and I have a feeling part of that has to do with the, the direction for the movie itself. Because while the initial reports says you called it Flashpoint, a lot of what's come out since seems to maybe indicate that the movie might be morphing back into being just The Flash. You know, and something that I, I picked up on before is that they said that when they took the job, you know, they went through several scripts, 
And apparently, you know, they, they picked one, but it's, it seems like there's different versions of this Flash movie. And if we, if recent reports from that hashtag show are to be believed, and the villains that are going to be involved and all that sort of stuff, this doesn't sound like Flashpoint anymore. So I would not be surprised if they're heading back towards just a solo, the Flash concept, with like Cyborg in there and stuff like that, since they like the buddy element of that. But it wouldn't be the big crossover crazy flashpoint event. So I'm trying to get some some in you know information on that. Uh, I can hopefully report back on that in the weeks to come. But for now, I've just got this this interesting hunch, this suspicion that if recent rep reports are to be believed, uh, we're not getting flashpoint. We're getting the flash. Um, so anyway, that, that all goes back to say, I want to see what Daly and Goldstein did with this Game Night movie that got them on the WB's radar for this. Because, uh, you know, they've been on, on my personal radar for a bit. You know, they've been a little hit or miss, but the stuff that they've hit, I've really, really enjoyed. So uh, if I do catch Game Night, I'll be sure to let you know what I think of it. Um, as for this week's recommendation, you know, since I've got Vegas on the mind, I've got gangsters on the mind, while I was there, I checked out the Mob Museum, which I'd never even heard of, and it was awesome. If you're someone who enjoys the Mafia, uh, you should definitely check, you know, check out the Mob Museum if you're ever in Las Vegas. That was, you know, uh, honestly, my, my favorite, uh, non-gambling, non-Black Panther experience uh, that I had there was checking out uh, the Mob Museum. So with that in mind, my recommendation this week is for the uh, Warren Beatty movie, Bugsy. Uh, the, you know, that sort of chronicles Bugsy's rise and fall, uh, the, you know, the real-life gangster. And uh, it also chronicles you know, him building the Flamingo Casino out there in Las Vegas, which still exists, mind you. It's been changed up a bit, but it's still there. Uh, by the way, I got to gamble, uh, play some blackjack at the Cortez, which Bugsy briefly owned as well for a little while. So I was kind of steeped in all of this mob lore while I was there. So I, you know, I was I was thinking of making this week's recommendation, Casino by Martin Scorsese. But you know, Scorsese's gangster films always get the love. They always get the hype. They're all considered, you know, pop culture classics. But I feel like Bugsy has been forgotten. So, Bugsy is this week's referral, and while we're talking Warren Beatty, by the way, I had a brilliant idea. Maybe I was just hungover, but I had a brilliant idea in Las Vegas, and, and my friends, who may have been equally hungover, uh, signed off on it. So, I'm going to share it with you guys, my other friends, my digital friends, my online friends. Warren Beatty, who still owns the film rights to Dick Tracy, needs to get that thing rebooted. They, they need to make a Dick Tracy franchise, and I'm serious, I think this thing could hit. And it shouldn't be like the cartoonish, uh, either late 80s or early 90s movie that he made, even though I know it's based on an old radio series and it's supposed to be sort of corny. But I think they should do like a cool, like period piece, multi-part blockbuster franchise with Dick Tracy, you hire a cool sort of hard-nosed, square-jawed detective, cool badass guy, and you give him some tricked-out but retro you know, gadgets because it does take place in like you know the 30s and 40s. But I think you could tell like a five-story movie based on him going after different gangsters, and you can sort of intercut it by bringing in some real-life events and some old Vegas and some classic gangsters. I feel like I feel like people would eat that up. 
And in this age where old properties are getting turned and milked into these multi-part franchises, I think Dick Tracy is like, it's a property that is ripe for the picking. It's such an awesome landscape because you've got, you know, a cool detective in Tracy. You've got all of these interesting gangsters and villains with their own little, you know, quirks and eccentricities. And I really think, I'm surprised that of all the different things that get kicked around for, for being a, a franchise and getting rebooted and relaunched, I think a Dick Tracy movie could do amazingly well in this current landscape. Especially if you try to bridge the gap. You get the older folks who love gangster movies and, and, and you know, grew up on Scorsese and uh, you know all that sort of stuff. And then you get the kids who, if, if, you, if you market it right, Dick Tracy could pre could be a pretty awesome you know he, heroic hard ass detective character at a time when you know we we could use uh, some positive role models on the law enforcement end of things and you know who I would cast I would cast Ryan Gosling as the new Dick Tracy and I think he would be cool I think he'd be slick I think he'd be badass you could put him in that yellow trench coat and set him up against some awesome you know mobster villains. Uh, and I think I think this thing is an excuse to print money. So somebody get on the horn, contact Warren Beatty, tell him to either give those film rights to someone who's going to do something, shit, piss, or get off the pot, or do it himself. You know, produce it, hire some young talent, get uh, Denis Villeneuve to make a noir Dick Tracy type situation. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here, but I came back from Vegas all fired up that we should have a Dick Tracy movie, okay? Maybe I'm crazy. Feel free to let me know on the Twitter, but for now, I'm going to go spend some time with my family who I haven't seen really since Sunday night. I'm going to take my lady to go check out game night tonight. I will keep y'all posted. You'll hear about, you know, we'll speak again when the Revengers podcast comes out on Tuesday with me, Brett, and Vanessa. But until next week, adios. Adios.